0: We are in First Corinthians, and as we have been journeying through this particular letter, I've been very encouraged. Um, I love, as we get to dig into the Word and, and kind of just see what God has for each one of us, it's so wonderful, I think, to be able to journey through together. Today we're going to, as I mentioned, go, we'll be in chapter 14, but I want I want to cover a few things because since chapter 12... We've been in, the topic or the content is oriented around what's called the gifts of the Spirit. These are uh, empowerments, enablings that God places within individuals, within uh, his, his children, his church, for his glory and, and for purposes. And so let's consider a couple things in regards to that kind of a refresher of what, what we have went through to this point. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And so we're told, as you see in there, because you know, obviously chapter 13, we spent a couple of weeks in looking at the reality of the action of love, the motive of love, the source of love. And so he says to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. We're told at the end of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, verse 31, that we're to earnestly desire um, the most appropriate gifts or the best gift. And so you see what's being said in Scripture, that we're to, to, to desire, to long for, to request, petition for the, these gifts because there is a purpose. Now, in verse 7 of chapter 12, we see a portion or a good part of that purpose in chapter 12, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So we're encouraged individually to pursue love, desire these gifts, uh, desire the most appropriate gift for the season and the time you're living in, and recognize that the, the, the God and the person of the Holy Spirit gives each one of these gifts for the profit of all. It's not for the elevation or exaltation of an individual, a recipient, but rather it's for, for the benefit of all. We're told in verse 11 of First Corinthians 12, along these same lines, but the one and same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And I think if you keep those things in your in frame of mind when we go through even what we'll look at today and as you process what the Word of God has to say in regards to the receiving of the gifts, the uh, expression and the utilization of those gifts, and the purpose of the gifts, it just simplifies life in so many ways. Because you just doesn't get that, it's not that confusing, quite honestly. I really don't think it is. So remember, it's not a competition. He distributes as He wills. He distributes for the profit of all, and he invites you and I to petition, to seek him, to settle him before him and receive what he would have for us individually so that others also would be blessed. The gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the church, of his body. The gifts of the Spirit are for bringing forth the word of God, to evangelize the lost, which means just brings the word of God to those who don't yet know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gifts of the Spirit enable that. The gifts of the Spirit are to equip those who are born again, how to live a godly life, and they're to edify, which speaks of to build up the body of Christ as we grow, as individually we grow, and corporately we grow, each believer is equipped for the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4. So as we're built up, we're edified, we're born again, we're edified. As we grow, he enables us, he equips us for the work of the ministry. So with that in mind, let's pray. God, as we would approach this text, this topic, God, I just know that there's just a lot of experiences a lot that has happened in people's lives and and with different viewpoints and and different perceptions and different ideas about this topic. We just ask, God, that you would speak individually to us as we collectively um, just settle into this text. That you would bring the truth forward, that you would free us if there's any apprehension or restriction within our our own reasoning. That you would enable us, Lord, individually to take hold of your truth, whatever you would make known to us, and that we would desire a spiritual work, a deeper work in our lives, Lord, that humbly we would petition and request of you to take us deeper, so to speak, in our walk with you, to have a greater understanding of your grace, a broader knowledge of your love, and to live with the power of your presence that we would know you are working in us and through us for your glory and for our joy. And so we thank you, God. Teach us your words this morning. Refresh us and renew us. Revive us, O oh Lord, according to your loving kindness. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We have covered verses 1 through 25 on Wednesday night in our step-by-step. And so I encourage you to you know, go to our, listen to the whole message on our website. Uh, I'll address a few things. I'll give right now, I'm going to give a, a bit of a summary, if you would, on the first uh, 25, chap- or 25 verses of the chapter so we can catch the context as we're going to focus from verse 26 on. In chapter 14, 1 Corinthians verses 1 through 25, that portion of Scripture addresses the purpose of prophecy. We see that from verse 3 of chapter 14. In verse 3 of chapter 14, we're told, He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So the purpose is one of the three results of prophecy, goals of prophecy, purposes, is to edify, exhort, and to comfort all men. It's good and important to remember. We know also in that same section of Scripture, verses 1 through 25, is revealed the importance of clarity. Verse 4 tells us that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the whole church. Tongues, that gift of tongues, are primarily for the individual, whereas prophecy was for the gatherings. Tongues, in summary, is primarily a personal praise and prayer language between you and God. And in the context of this scripture that i'm referencing you know he, he makes it very clear because if someone utilizes this gift of an, a verbal expression of praise and worship to god in a public setting but nobody interprets it it would be like somebody coming in and speaking french in an english-speaking gathering where nobody spoke french and we go oh, it sounds flowery sounds like a loving language i have no clue what they said so we want to realize that there's purpose in the, it. The, there's the importance of clarity. God is not the author of confusion. So we have in this first 25 verses, which it addresses the purpose of prophecy, the importance of clarity, and the emphasis of the gifts, to seek them, to desire them. For edification, not for personal exaltation. Exalts means just to raise up. So the purpose of the gifts are not to draw attention to one person. They're not to be where somebody goes, wow, that person is so spiritual. But rather to build others up rather than to raise up an individual. You'll see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, where it's revealed that you know, the purpose of the gifts is to edify one another. Now the use of the gifts, we know um, specifically like tongues, or to be used personally and publicly. Paul spoke in tongues privately, yet elevated prophecy as more important in group, group gatherings. Do you, do you know that? He said, I would rather someone spoke maybe five words in a tongue. I would rather that they spoke 10,000 words in in in, in 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 true understanding. Let I me mean, correct that. Verse 19, in church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And it's really simple. And if we want to just keep the, 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 you know, the simple reality of the text, five words that you understand are way better than a symphony of confusion. And that's really what he's saying within this particular passage. Now let's pick up, in, as we look over towards verse 26, let me make sure we catch the context. There are times when tongues are beneficial, and there are times when the use of tongues is detrimental, using the gift. So, just like I said, there's times in a public gathering, if someone stands up and speaks in tongues, or presents that that's what they're doing, and it creates confusion, it would have been better for them to be quiet and maybe even share a word more privately or one-on-one with a word of prophecy. And there are times when it is beneficial, because it seems to contradict. If you've read through the text, uh, specifically verses 22 to 25, Paul's saying, well, it's for the believer. And then later he basically says it's for the unbeliever. Yes, it's true. It's not meant to be a categorical separation. There's this, and then there's this. But rather, in certain situations, in the right context, it can be beneficial. We looked on Wednesday night at Acts chapter 2 because you would go to Acts chapter 2 to understand the gift of tongues, why would you do that? Because that is an expression within Scripture of the utilization of this gift. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost, when the gift of tongues was given to the apostles, and they spoke of the marvelous works of God. They spoke, and the people in the area that were gathered there from different dialects, different nations even, they heard this declaration through their own ears, and they heard it in, as it was spoken in, their known language. And so they're like, what is this? Because it was, it was eye-opening to them. It was amazing to them. It was a tool to someone who did not yet know God to, to draw them into receiving the Word of God. And so in that time, it was really fascinating how it was used. So I think there's a challenge sometimes when we go, okay, you can only use it here or you can only use it there. It's only this way or it's only that way. Some have said the gift of tongues has to be um, a known language. So like we see in in the book of Acts, where this known language to another person was spoken through someone who didn't know that language. But be careful to be too categorical, too absolute, because the Bible also speaks of this prayer language. And there's times when you pray, according to Romans 8, when you don't even know what to say. And the spirit intercedes, the spirit brings forth groanings and utterances because we're not even sure what to say. So in regards to tongues, and I'll wrap this up, there's times that it's that personal, private prayer language that God knows. He gives it to you and brings it forth from you as you desire to speak it as a way of of working through the intellect and, and kind of pushing through the restrictions of reasoning. It's not that you bypass the intellect, but you work through the, you know what I'm saying? Where if you've exercised the gift and experienced, or you know the gift, you know what I'm talking about. To where you're just praying with such a focus on God. You're not trying to work it all out in your head. And I want to pray this, but if I pray that, then I should pray this. And it's like, ah! It's a personal, intimate prayer language that God would give a person that is not restricted to French or you know, Spanish or German or whatever. It's your private, personal language. I've shared before, I don't do this in any way boasting. I'm just saying, I I speak in tongues, but you'll never hear it. Because I believe God has purposed in my heart, that gift for me personally, in part is due to my own spiritual weakness. And it's it's an intimacy, it's a way of engaging in communication, communicating with him that's just between me and him. And so it allows me to kind of just if you would communicate without a lot of this cerebral confusion sometimes. And so others use the gift differently. Why do I belabor? Why do I go in such detail? Because it's a gift of God given for the benefit, for the profit of all, and he distributes as he wills. Some may have the gift of 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 tongues, others will not. It's not a measure of superiority. It's not a confirmation of your spirituality, as some organizations wrongly teach, that you're not filled in the Spirit until you have an expression, some verbalization, this gift of tongues being manifested. That is not true to the Scripture. He distributes as he wills for the profit of all. So that really makes it very clear we're not to compete or to compare. So let's look at verse 26. I made it for service. I think we'll make it still. I have in my mind to get through verse 40. I'm pretty confident. I'm so confident that we're just going to take it a section at a time. So we won't go through the whole thing in the first run. Let's just read verse 26 to 28. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. I believe what we see happening in the church, specifically we're reading about what was happening in Corinth, is the people who were living in Corinth had been living according to the world. It's all they knew. And they had an encounter with the living God. The presentation of the gospel was brought to them, but the preparation for the gospel was done in their hearts by God and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so when that truth came to them, they recognized their own sin. They realized their need for forgiveness, and they came into what we call a born-again relationship with God. They agreed with God concerning their sin, they believed that Jesus was the only one that could forgive them of their sin, for he died for their sins and rose from the dead. And in believing him, they, they put their trust in him, and, and now they experience this, this new regeneration. They didn't just get religion and change their life. They were born again, and they're excited. There's something about it. There's something, like a weight was taken off my back. It was like, oh, oh, there's, just, they were, there's a zeal and, and an excitement, and they wanted to speak and to share And so as they gathered with other people like-minded, they started sharing about what was happening in their life. And now this was a new thing. It wasn't just deciding to go to church on Sunday. And so as they're processing that, there's genuine excitement and the the engagement and the interaction. And I believe what happened then, because it's happened in every generation since, is the excitement can shift into a competition, a type of comparing and sharing. How would I see that? Well, I believe it happens pretty frequently. It's just almost an, a natural thing culturally, not just here but in, in everywhere. It's like this: you could take four or five guys talking in the parking lot. Maybe these are got out of off work. Maybe just after a ball game or after church, whatever. And they get to chatting, and they're like minded. They have a hobby, as I say, fishing. And so they're talking about fishing. Oh, one guy. Oh man, went out a week ago. Man, I caught the fish this big. And from that point on, the rest of the guys don't hear much because they're realizing that the the, the database is searching the record. It's going back in the memory bank. And so as that person, as you respect, and then almost subconsciously, like, oh, that reminds me, we went out three weeks ago and I got two that were this big. And then the other guy, he's here, like, oh yeah, oh, cool, yeah. You know, I did. I went out last time. I went out. We didn't catch the size you caught, but we caught way more than you caught. It's not just, you know, it's not like this hyper competitiveness. But if you think about, it, we're always wanting to, we compare and we we respond. And, and I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm saying is, in the zeal and excitement, you know, everybody wanted to get in and share and the interaction, the engagement. And the gathering is to glorify God by building one another up. And so he's saying, you know, when you guys get together, everybody kind of starts talking all at once. Everyone's sharing this. And he's not saying don't share. He's saying, remember the reason you're gathering? To build one another up. The word is edification or edify. It means to promote growth in another person. Uh, To build on and upon is the way I like to think of it. I think of it from, say, construction terms. You build on this particular piece of dirt, what we would call a foundation in our structural guidelines. And so you you build on and you kind of build this out and on the, the, the blueprints, if you would. But then you also build upon that. You build the base and build upon the base. And so you have this relationship, this engagement with another Christian. And so you build on that the relationship with Christ. You encourage one another. You, you, you build upon that as opposed to comparing and trying to step above. You realize, man, that's awesome. And you would still share, you know, what you said really helped me because that reminded me when, you know, when we were just over here and the relationship was stressed, man, we've seen God's faithfulness. And just sharing that natural flow, if you would, with people that are like-minded, the interaction, you know, it's encouraged as long as there was was beauty and order. We'll get that when we get to verse 40. So, in their excitement, he said, hey, how is it this has been done? Now we give some instruction in verse 27. If someone speaks in tongues, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. If there's no interpretation, the group is not built up because they have no clue what was said. It sounds like toddler talk, if you would. It, it is hard to decipher, and you really literally can't. So he's saying, that, listen, if in a, in a group gathering, in a large setting, in a situation where you, there's going to need to be clarity, if someone's not there to interpret, then don't utilize it. Notice what he says there when he says, you know, um, the latter part, and let him speak to himself and to God. So there's that part where the person may want to share a gift, or share in a, in a smaller, I think this references more to a smaller group gathering, like what we would call a focus group, or some call them core groups, cell groups, home groups. In those settings, in even any setting, but primarily is where this would be exercised or expressed, you know, if there's no one there to interpret, then just keep it between you and the Lord. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and in a conversation with God at the same time? I, I believe you have. Even if your boss is reprimanding you, you're praying, "Oh God, don't, don't don't let me get fired." See, there's there's a point where you can be in conversation and fellowship, and you you see, okay, I want to I want to say this, and then you realize the timing, the window passed. So you just okay, Lord, in your mind, in your relationship with God, you're just you're looking at the other person, you're not speaking out loud, you're just praising God, like. Wow, that's so cool. It's, a, it's double dialect, so to speak. Let's move on to the next section, moving into verse 29, verse 29 through 31. He's going to now speak about um, prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And so we see here in regards to prophecy that you know as, as it's as it's shared, as it's presented, then weigh it out. Pro- okay, so let me make sure we get prophecy. I don't know that I've mentioned it yet, the service. Prophecy is God's word in a given situation. It doesn't have to be prefaced with thus saith the Lord. It doesn't have to be the Old Testament focus, if you would, where we know the, the office of a prophet, where God specifically spoke. He brought his word through individuals. We know even some of them like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. and We know these, these names, these people. But we're told in Hebrews chapter 1 that in former times, in former ways, God has spoke through the prophet, but now he speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. So this, this word of prophecy comes through his people, through you and I, in a given situation. I'll be real brief with this. As a young believer, I'm following, seeking to follow the Lord, trying to figure out how to do that. And as I am growing, I'm connecting with people, I'm living out so much of this as far as just gathering and, and learning from each other. And as I see God... You know, kind of, I kind of have a sense of him starting. I'm realizing he's charting a course for my life a little bit. But I don't, I'm just trying to not be dumb. You know what I mean? I just want to be a, I want to grow as a Christian. I don't even know how to do that. Well, I visited my uncle and aunt. My uncle, my dad's brother, Uncle Warren, was the one believer in the family that I knew was a believer. And so I, I went to him once I got saved, and, and he was just, you know, very, uh, Supportive, very encouraging. He he went through a ton of suffering, uh, had multiple surgeries with arthritis. Uh, he, coined, he he was the first one that presented to me in regards to suffering and difficulty. It'll make you better or it'll make you better. Depends on your perspective. How do you deal with it before God? Nonetheless, I'm visiting Lauren and his wife, my aunt, Carolyn. She says to me, you know, you're going to be a pastor someday. Now she said that, in a relational sense, I think in her mind, she was just encouraging me. I don't think that she's having a, thus saith the Lord, Daniel. She's just, you're going to be a pastor someday. And, you know, I, I just, I didn't, I just kind of, oh, whatever. Yeah, right. You know, in the moment I blew it off. But it just kept resonating. And I don't know if it's because of the way she said it was so sincere. But here's the twist. See, she exercised the gift of prophecy but she was a part of a fellowship that didn't believe the gifts were for today. So they were taught that they're not at this time, that they, they passed with the apostolic era. But yet here she's using, bringing God's word to a given situation. And I was edified. I was built up. She didn't, she didn't say, thus saith the Lord. And it's so cool because as I, I share that story even more and more and I, I look back and I know there was a time where she realized, man, that is so cool what God has done in your life, Danny. She, she could call me that. And it's like, it was such an encouragement. And I know she had to think, man, I'm so glad. Because I told her one time, what happens in Mountain Home, what's growing here, you were a part of 20 years ago, almost 25, 30 years ago, because of what you did as a word of encouragement, a word of prophecy. You see what I'm saying? It should happen in our conversations. It should happen from the pulpit. It should happen regularly, where the word of God is brought into a given situation. Now, let's make sure we can keep it... uh, in the proper framework within our text. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. So you're not just to receive it when someone says, I'm a prophet, this is what I got you to say, thus saith the Lord, however they would present their ursup authority. You're to go, okay, let me weigh this out. Let me weigh this in Scripture and see what it has to say. See if that's accurate. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul was sharing, he'd left Thessalonica, and he came to the city of Berea. You may be familiar with this. Act 17, 11. These, speaking of the people there in Thessalonica, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, Berea, I mean, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. The Bereans took what was told to them, maybe even prophecy. And they weighed it in the the, the whole totality, the whole counsel of Scripture, as they knew it. So they they brought it out. So you see, we're not judging someone like, well, I don't know if this is legit. You, You hopefully are wanting to build them up. You hopefully want to see them grow. And so you would weigh out what they say is maybe a word of encouragement, a word of prophecy. The Bible tells us to weigh that out with the scripture and to realize what it is where I just to blindly receive what someone else may say where I see this happen sometimes is when someone will say you know um, the Lord has spoke to me you know the Lord wants me to do this or wants me to do that <laughs> over the years here um, it's been most frequently said uh, uh, where it should be weighed out when someone says I just think the Lord wants us to be married one person is saying to another person, I think the Lord has co- told us that to, we're, we're to marry. The Lord has told us we're, we're going to get married. Now, the other person is kind of in an odd spot, correct? Because this one has got a burning bush relationship with, with God. and He speaks direct and hears so clear. And this one's like, I don't know. I haven't heard that. So guess what can happen? You need to succumb, submit to this teaching, this word from the Lord. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because Peter, when he was seeking the Lord, the Lord spoke to him. And Cornelius was seeking the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him. So if someone says, well, we well, this is the relationship. The Lord spoke to me. This is what we should do. Sweet. Cool. When I hear from him, we'll talk about it. It's to, He'll speak to both parties. He won't speak to one and then the other. And so that's, it requires sometimes patience if it's really of the Lord. And it requires humility if it's just a word that was maybe not of the Lord anyway. So you see what I'm saying? We're to weigh it out. We're to test it. Okay, if this is this in, in position? Is this in place? I believe God does speak to people about who they're to marry. I believe he does impress upon the heart, but he doesn't encourage that coercion, but rather he brings about the unity of the Spirit when he speaks to both parties. So anyway, I'm not sure why I went in length on that particular part, but somebody knows Verse 30 30 and 31, if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So in a, a, say a word of prophecy, and you say you got 10 people that have gathered together for a meal and you're talking about the wonderful works of God and what God's done in your life. And one person shares a word and then you want to say the same thing, but you want to say it differently. So one would share, and then another would say almost the same thing with a different sentence structure, and another would say it. And he's like, oh, "We get it. This, this is what the Lord is just. It doesn't need to be keep being repeated in a different phrase or a different t- structure, so to speak. If if it's revealed, then then let then just let the next one keep silent. Silent. It's about order. Can we agree? It's about realizing that God is to be glorified, and we're in, in our interaction would be edified. Verse thirty two. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The fruit of the Spirit, we see one expression of this love in a person, according to Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I have known people that have been reluctant to ask for the filling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. They're born again. But they're, they're not seeking this um, power that we read about in Acts 1 from the Father because they're afraid what they may do publicly. Let me just say this. God does not overpower you in Walmart and make you gyrate and shout. He just doesn't do that. He's not going to do something that's just going to bring shame to your name and he's not even going to glorify his name. Some would say in their perception and their zeal, I can't stop it. The Spirit came upon me, and woe to me if I hold back. Well, that, I would suggest, according to Scripture, is not an accurate interpretation of your feelings and your zeal. Your feelings and zeal are important. But they're not to be the, the, the drive, and they're not to be something that just, man, it just come upon me, and I just started doing this. I've seen so, it's comical if, if it wasn't so misleading. Some of these presentations of supposedly a healing and this and these gyrations and all this stuff is like, it's like, I can't stop it. The Holy Spirit's doing it. to me. No, we stop blaming him for you're stupid. It doesn't make sense. You're, you're, it's an animation. It's, a, it's an expression. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I think that the zeal should be expressed. We're just too stoic for the most part in our culture. We're too subdued. We're not open to much of anything, quite honestly. But we should be at least aware, of, like, let's keep it in the right framework the Holy Spirit does not do something that would bring about the conclusion the Spirit was moving so much we never even got to the Word of God. There was such a work of the Spirit and this happened and that happened because at the end of the meeting or your summary would be it's all about the Holy Spirit. But we're told in the Scripture that the Holy Spirit does not go against the Word of God. God in the person of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and directs people to Jesus. He does not draw attention away from Jesus. So either we have a wrongful conclusion of a gathering or an expression, or we're realizing, yeah, this isn't really where it should be. It's not in the framework for the manifestation. It's not where the expression should be. All right, let's go to verse 34, 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Nothing to talk about there. Move on to verse 35. <laughs> they want to learn something. Let them ask their own husbands at a home. For it's shameful for women to speak in church. I've created this dilemma when I chose to teach through the Bible. When we as a church, as a leadership team, we choose to teach through Scripture. It would be much easier to go topical and not have to talk about this stuff. But let's face it. It's really simple, it's really straightforward, it's not as archaic and complicated as some have presented it to be. The issue here is not so much gender as it is order. Let's look into it. First of all, for those who would be uh, tilted to doctrinal laziness, what I mean is, see it says right there, women can't speak in church, that's doctrinal laziness. You're not willing to look at the totality of Scripture and see, well, what does it say? It seems to say this by itself standing alone. Would that be entirely true? Can I make this conclusion? Can I develop this very fine, clear doctrine? Well, if you read chapter 11, you would be reluctant to conclude that chapter 14 says women have to not speak. Chapter 11 gives instruction for men and women when they pray in public places. This is how they should carry themselves. Remember it was talked about women covering their head specifically verse 5. Well, why would you need to give instruction for women to pray publicly and how they would do it if they're not allowed to speak per all you know, anyway. You see? When we let Scripture start being the interpretation, we start seeing okay, what do we, what are, what's being said, what's being presented here? Mary Magdalene spoke of the resurrection. You realize that, right? One of the first voices about the resurrection of Jesus Christ came through a woman. There's Priscilla and Lydia. Uh, Acts twenty one. Philip has four daughters that prophesy. So if you look into Scripture, you're like, okay, I can't be. Definitive on one passage. I have to see, okay, what does, it, what does it mean? Because we know Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 tells us that they, we are all one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, and it goes on to say men or women. We're one in Christ. So we have this unity. There's authority, but not superiority. So how do we process this? Notice in verse 35 where he says, they want to learn something, let them ask at home. So that gives us an insight of what was happening. I had a, a glimpse of this, if you would, um, in personal experience, in a, in a travel to India some years ago. And in the, in the Christian church in India, I believe it's still this way, but at that time where we were, the region, the, the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other. They were, they were separated by the only two genders there are, men and women. And so, as they're apart, sometimes what would happen is they're sitting there, and I've seen this happen. So the woman is saying to her husband, which I don't know what they're saying; they're speaking Tamil. And so that she's she's saying across, and so it's as the service is starting, she's shouting over to him, and he's sitting over here. And I think it was actually related to their toddler aged kid, and who's going to take it to Sunday, take the child to Sunday school or something. I don't know what it seemed to be, but I'm like. And it's getting really loud. It'd be just like over here, talking to someone over here, kind of shouting back and forth. And so it says here, you know, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. Rather than a personal debate in a public setting, discuss matters in a reasonable way. Let it be done in a way that's reasonable. And you know, when you're home, talk to your father or your husband. I think you understand that most... Marriages were, are prearranged, so you're under the leadership, the authority of your f- father, until you're into, under the authority of your husband. Uh, when, I, when I talk about these things, it's interesting because, you know, there's a press in our culture to undermine Christianity, to imply that somehow, you know, Christianity is the problem with the world. Last week I spoke, I uh, mentioned about the Arab nations have this hatred Towards Israel. To be more accurate, it's the Islamic belief that has this hatred. of Those who live within the Arab countries. This Islam- Islamic belief that many are suddenly saying is wonderful. Do you know how they treat women? Are you aware of what they require? You, do you have you heard of the term Sharia law? Do we realize this? Because. Christianity, the true presence of Christ, the work of Christ, has done more for liberating women and done more for them than we can even imagine. If you just look historically, you'll be shocked. Why do I say that? Because it's not oppressive. There's order. When it says here that it's shameful for a woman to speak, for women to speak in church, shameful means inappropriate. In that culture, it would speak of... Immodest. It was a type of self-promotion and disrespect or disregard for the people. Just speak out, and you could honestly. I can show you other places in Scripture. This this applies. It's not a gender issue. It's an order issue. It's not just men. I mean, women. Men can be just as disruptive as as women can be. So he's just saying, "Hey, this is how it's going down." Now let's work towards the wrap up on this. If you have any questions on that. you got my email. <laughs> you know, Jonah's with Jonah at com. Mine is at com, So no problem. It's Dan at C-C Mountain Home. I actually encourage email. I love email. I really do. I love the dialogue because you have a trail, and then we can sit face-to-face and discuss with some order, some intelligence, some respect. Well, um, whatever. We'll move on. Verse 30 36. Now, realize, Paul has said some really challenging things about order in the church and the utilization of the gifts for the glory of God and the edification of the believers. But he also knows this is a divisive group, quite honestly. This is a normal church, if you would. They've already, we've already known, and it's already been shown, that some are of Paul, and some are of Peter, and some are of Apollos, and they kind of slip into little sections. And some will claim higher authority. It says in verse 36, Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? See, what he's going to identify is some are not going to receive what he has to say. They're going to speak as if they're the ones who received the word of God. Well, how did they receive the word of God? Well, actually, Paul was one of the instruments, various believers, but Paul was a key instrument in bringing the truth to the gathering of people that lived in Corinth. And so he's not boasting, he's just saying, God brought this to you, and not just to you. And so this is the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. He has to tell them, listen, this is from the Lord. Because others are going to say, no, this is from the Lord. Because they're non-receptive. They're not gonna they don't they don't recognize God's order and his authority. Paul is not putting himself above the people, he's serving the people. And he's saying this is this is what the Lord has to say. But he knows some will say, Yeah, well, this is what the Lord spoke to me. And then he goes on to say, verse 38 If anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Or if you're from deep south, if anyone's ignorant, let him be ignorant. That's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Isn't that weird? It really is. And here's why. Ignore speaks of choosing not to know, unwilling to learn or know. And when you're engaging with someone who is unwilling to learn or to know, let it be. You are not going to change them. The Lord can change them. They may respond to truth. They may stay on this divisive course of self-promotion. You just—if they choose to be that way. Let me let me summarize a few verses out of Proverbs. When a wise person confronts a fool, you end up with two idiots. Because if you're going to try to pour into this person who's got a lid on it, you're just you're just pouring out waste. You don't cast your pearls before swine. And I'm not saying that we don't engage in dialogue, but if someone is not gonna, going they're unwilling to learn or to know, let them, let them be that way. You can't let let, let the Lord take care of it. Why? I, why do I share that? Because it's it's liberated me as a pastor. As I perceived in the first year, ten years or so, as a pastor, I needed help on all these situations and to do this, and I had to come to a realization: some people I engage with, I am their pastor. Some people I engage with, I'm their teacher. Some people, I'm just a person in their life. Some people are not willing to learn. They're not willing to know. I don't judge them. I don't critique them. I just realize my engagement's different with them. And so I just, I roll with it. I didn't in the early years. I spent too much time losing sleep trying how to, what did I do wrong? What should I do? How do I do this? Now I was like, you know what, God, may I be humble, but if they're ignorant, let them be Ignorant. You know, I can't fix that. I can't, you know, anyway, I think you get it. Let's close it up. Verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Decently speaks of beauty and humility and honesty. Order speaks of arrangement and harmony. So he says, listen, utilize the gift of tongues. He's given some framework. Utilize the the word of prophecy. Let it be spoken. Don't don't forbid tongues or prophecy. But let it be done with a beauty and a humility and arrangement and a harmony. Let there be order in the gatherings, not chaos. We got it. We did it. Made it through. It's all right. So I didn't have any airborne vegetables or nothing. Either service is awesome. You guys are a great audience. We're going to have communion. Communion is where we recognize what Jesus has done for us. Communion, what we're going to partake in now, as we call communion, is for born-again Christians. Well, why do I say that? I say that because Jesus said, as often as you do this, speaking of you know recognizing the bread, which represents his body, recognizing the contents of the cup, representing his blood, As often as you take these, do it in remembrance of me, he said. Because of the relationship, because you have a relationship with him, you can pause the busyness and you can stop some of the things that are happening consciously and remember what he has done for you. If you don't have a relationship with him, then you have nothing to remember. If you don't have a relationship with him, I would encourage you to to take that first step and receive the gift of life that he offers to you. Whoever would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved, shall be saved. And that means you agree with God concerning your sin. You agree, you know what it is, you don't have to go into detail, but you know what it is. And your sin has left you with a death sentence. Sin will bring about death. And the only way that that sin debt can be paid for is that Jesus would die for your sins. But he can't die for your sins if he has his own sins. But he lived a sinless life, laid down his life, died for your sins, that you may be forgiven. He then rose from the dead, conquering death and hell. And so we'll stand, I'll pray, we'll all pray together, and we'll pray. If you stand with me, we'll pray, and then Greg will lead us, we'll join with Greg in a, in a song of worship together as we recognize what God has done, and we you know just prepare our hearts for communion. During that song will be the opportunity for you to step up and pick up the elements, either from the front or if you're closer to the back. There's some back there. And hold on to those until I step back up and we'll take communion together. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your presence. Lord, as you speak to our hearts, you stir us and remind us of your great love and kindness. And Lord, I just pray for anyone who hasn't taken that first step. If you're that person, I just want to lead you in a simple clear gospel prayer God I believe you I believe that you are right I have sinned I've done things that are contrary to your design for my life and I need your forgiveness and so I would ask Jesus that you would forgive me I put my trust in you not in anything else I believe that you died for my sins I believe that you are God that you rose from the dead And that you will lead me in this new life you speak of. And so from this day forward, teach me this new life, God. Teach me, Jesus, how to live this new life. We would all pray the same, God. Teach us how to live in this season and this time. To be filled with the Spirit, to glorify you, to be encouraged by your presence. To be your spokesman, your people in this world. A light shining into the darkness, God. And so we want to remember what you have done. We want to thank you, God, as we sing this song and prepare our hearts to take communion. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.